This episode contains material that might be triggering for some. If you need to stop the podcast at any time to take care of yourself, please do so. If you need support, you can call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 988. Dialectical Behavior Therapy was created in the 1980s by Marsha Linehan in Seattle, Washington. Today, DBT is taught all over the world. We're two therapists who believe everyone can benefit from DBT skills. I'm Kate. I'm Michelle. And And this this is is DBT and me. Hello, everybody. Hello, everyone. (laughs) Oh, it's time for Q&A 51. And we have gin with us today, currently on Kate's lap. (laughs) Do we ever have a gin today? He's being very frustrating. And so I did figure out 51 is like Area 51. Hey, we came up with a thing. Hey, you found it advanced about a cool thing to say about the number. <laughs> I appreciate it because I didn't know what to say. Thank I was just going to be like, cool, we've crossed the threshold over 50. <laughs> awesome. We're in a new decade of life for the Q&As. No, I just uh, thank yes. you for mentioning Jin because I am absolutely certain he's going to be more of a problem than he has usually been. So Yep, he'll probably chime in here and there as we're going through and, and or there'll be strange edits background noise. as you hear me being like Jen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly <sighs> well um we'll see if i can get through this can... first one it's a little bit longer yes, that's the we'll only reason see. i say it <laughs> yes it is it is a long one but yeah all right Why don't you dive on in this one reads hi i need help I have problems really deeply connecting with people, but superficial relationships are not for me. I had this friend I loved dearly. He was someone I could relate to in many aspects. He was very, very smart. I loved that we've been working in the same field, both writing fiction and poetry and writing about literature, and that I learned so much from him. He was also funny, and I had this feeling of closeness with him. I loved him in a way that's rare for me. I let him in our home, I let him into my personal space, and that is also rare for me. He has a history of very serious emotional dysregulation and can become very, very harsh in his communication, and he's known to just end relationships and split on people. He will say things like, you're my only female friend and we're deeply connected, and then say, you're a horrible human being and I never really thought any different. He told me he sees some BPD symptoms in himself, but I, and other people that know him, will see some of the narcissist traits in him as well. I don't want to diagnose him, and I don't want to label him. I am just trying to add my observation and his own personal, sorry, and his own opinions about himself. He told me that when he splits on people, he puts them into the bad box in his head, even if they were in the good box before. Last December, he split on me very, very, very badly. It was because he didn't like the idea that we try to find a restaurant that serves gluten-free food since I can't have gluten. He knew that I couldn't have gluten since I've told him this many, many times before, but he seems to forget everything that is not important to him. I noticed this and so did my partner in several other situations. Anyhow, this led to a very bad attack on my character and in the end, he ended the relationship. My BPD symptoms have gotten very much worse after that. 
This abandonment has made me question everything about myself, and I became self-destructive. But it was also the situation that led me to try to learn DBT, and that was the best decision I made in a long time for myself. The problem is, I miss him so, so, so much. I don't have a lot of friends, and it is hard for me to trust people. It's hard to really let them in and to have a genuine connection with them. I miss him, I really do, and at the same time, I know this was a toxic, or sorry, this was toxic to me and I should not seek him again. He has a history of broken relationships. He's been dating his partner for over a decade with this type of together and then big fight, not talk, find each other again, fight and not talk again kind of pattern. I just don't know what skills to try. I don't know how to deal with my fear of abandonment and the immense grief this has caused me. I long for him to be in my life again. I dream about him at least twice a week, but I do feel this is my BPD acting up. I know in my reasonable mind that he's hurt me too much too many times, and in my wise mind, I think the best would be to try to appreciate everything good I got from him, but let go of him for now. It's just so hard. I find myself obsessing over him and hoping that he'll realize, sorry, and hoping that he'll once realize what he has done and find my, ah, I can't talk today. One second, sorry guys. I find myself obsessing over him and hoping that he'll once realize what he has done and apologize. And yes, I know that even in that case, the relationship with him would be very much not a safe option for me. Do you have any advice? any plan for how I could work on this. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's a lot of background information here, but we left it all in because the context of who he is felt important. Um, but really at the heart of all of this, it really sounds like he was a favorite person or FP for short. So this is a concept that's talked about sometimes specifically with people who have a borderline personality disorder diagnosis is that it's not uncommon to have a person in your life who really feels like you're everything. Mm. Um, and the label and the term that's been put to that is to have a favorite person. And that's what I was thinking the whole time reading this. Like, oh, he was your favorite person. <laughs> that's what's making this so hard. Um, something stood out to me. This happens all the time. We read through these and then new things come up <laughs> that I, that we don't put down in our notes. Um, <laughs> but something came up here that I think is important to highlight around the circumstances of why this friendship ended, which was the whole thing it sounds like about finding a gluten-free restaurant or a restaurant that serves gluten-free food at the very least has that option on the menu and that that's really what broke the friendship here and I was thinking about it this way because I hear these things sometimes I see this sometimes in my own life I see this with clients I hear it here with this listener where sometimes what happens is that we basically make a request of somebody or we set a boundary with somebody we say hey this isn't okay with me they're like essentially drawing a line in the sand um of saying either this is what I want this is what I don't want and you're explaining where you're coming from with what your desires are or what a boundary is. Then what happens is the person in your life crosses over that line or they tell you your line shouldn't be there. Why did you draw the line there, so to speak? They get upset with you 
for drawing the line. And what often happens is that rather than thinking to yourself, huh, this is maybe a red flag that they are so not okay with this line, so maybe I need to take a step back from this relationship, normally what happens is that you'll stay and the person who's upset about you drawing the line, they are the ones that leaves. And how interesting that is, right? (laughs) Then situations like this where you're saying, this is something that's really important to me and they don't like that. It would have made all the sense in the world at that time, say, for you to walk away from him to say, hey, if this isn't going to work for you, if you can't respect this line that I'm drawing, I need to take a step back from this relationship. But instead, to take a step back just because someone drew a line. I just see that a lot. And mm-hmm. that's what he did. Mm-hmm. That is what he did here. This listener drew a line. He didn't like the line. So he left. That's mm-hmm. that's what happened. And then sometimes, right, it's really easy to get in your head about like, well, should I have drawn that line? Was that okay? The answer almost always is yes. It was just for some reason, the other person couldn't tolerate it. They didn't like that you were drawing any kind of line, even if the line you drew was perfectly reasonable. So that stood out to me hearing Kate read it back. The other thing that I was really thinking of throughout um, what this listener wrote is that there's a lot of dialectics when we have lost somebody in our lives who maybe deep down we knew was not the healthiest person for us, Mm -hmm. but we also didn't make the decision to end the relationship, which is that, I mean, and this dialectic honestly exists probably within everybody, which is that a lot of the relationships that we have in our lives, sometimes hurtful things happen. And that same person who does the hurtful things also probably brought some positive things to your life too. And it's just both. And this is why sometimes people will look at other people they know who are in toxic, abusive, unhealthy relationships go, oh, why are they staying? And it's because it's not all bad. It is largely bad and the bad things are really serious. And also that person is staying because it's a situation where they are still continuing to see some positive, however superficial that may be, however short-lived that may be, they're still seeing the positive. And that that's why this listener is holding on to this friend and, you know, dreaming of him twice a week and all of that is because of that dialectic. That even though he did some hurtful things... This listener is still really seeing a lot of the positive things that he brought. So that's that's a tricky place to be in. But I think just being able to acknowledge that within yourself is helpful to whenever you're getting down on yourself about like, well, why can't I just stop thinking of him? I know he wasn't good for me as a friend, you know, so on and so forth to just be like, it's both these things. It's both. That's why I can't just let go entirely. As far as skills go, um, the first one that came to mind for me is improve. Improve, I don't know if I've ever said it this definitively, but improve is probably my favorite skill for grief. Oh, I thought you were just going to say your favorite skill forever. Oh, my favorite skill, period. No. Wow. (laughs) I don't think it's my favorite skill, period, though I do really like it. Um, But for grief, I think improve is the one that that I believe to be the most helpful. 
um, some elements of it that might be really helpful here for this listener. I mean, looking at meaning. What meaning do you make from having him in your life and what you got from the friendship? Um, the V for brief vacation. When grief starts to feel really big, we sometimes just need to take a little break from it. Um, so brief vacation can help with that. Using encouragement when you're hard on yourself about the grief, like I was just saying with the importance of thinking dialectically about the grief. Um, so those would just be some pieces of improve, but I thought that that might be a helpful skill and also probably no surprise, radically accepting that this grief may be here for a while because it may. It may stick around. I mean, grief tends to. Um, especially when it's a situation where, you know, yeah, this listener didn't want this friendship to end, even if it was becoming pretty, pretty unhealthy. He chose to end the friendship. The listener didn't. And so that means that there's some unresolved grief, some grief that just kind of got left hanging. Um, and yeah, that sticks around for a while and being able to not try to rush through it and to be able to, again, have that kindness towards yourself in the form of radical acceptance when you may still find yourself grieving down the line. Um, to really try to let go of any self-talk that resembles anything like, I should be over this by now. Why am I still thinking about him? You know, all of that. Whenever that comes up, it's probably a sign that some radical acceptance is needed. Oh, okay. What about you, Kate? I had a long response to, to a long, <laughs> That's to okay, a long email. Because I was up and chasing the toddlers, by which I mean cats. Because um, this is that day. <laughs> um, well, let's see. I first just wanted to take a moment to really... I don't know, like applaud the listener because it seemed to me like they're already doing a lot of mindfulness of emotions, right? A lot of tuning into and checking in with their wise mind. Um, I know you were emphasizing it, but I also heard uh, in their uh, original email that there was a lot of dialectical thinking. Uh, and so I did just want to like start out by just acknowledging how well the listener is already doing at a lot of skills that I might suggest. Um, mm -hmm. for some of these things. Um, that being said, I also wanted to echo, um, your, I don't know, echo your call for, your reminder of, your something, um, mentioning radical acceptance. Um, I won't go too far into it, but over the last year, I've also been dealing with my own friendship loss that was not <laughs> my choice. Um... And radical acceptance has definitely been um, the skill I have been needing to rely on possibly most consistently there. So um, doubling down, I suppose, on that suggestion um, of mm -hmm. radical acceptance and the reminder that radical acceptance is not a one and done most of the time. Um, so I'd like you, you're talking about, Michelle, like accepting that the grief is going to be around for a while. Um, also perhaps accepting that you might be having to use radical acceptance about this situation for a while, um, might have yeah. to be a re-go-to, not just a go-to. Um, but, uh, outside of that, um, I think 
Now I'm so self-conscious anytime I type self-soothe in the notes because I was like, Kate, do you ever not say self-soothe? Um, the answer is probably not. No, if it's got some sort of sadness in it, I probably say self-soothe. And I will probably say self-soothe for anything revolving around grief or sadness for the rest of time. So I probably need to get over it. There you go. I need to not be self-judgy. Um about the fact that I love self-soothe and I think it's incredibly helpful. Uh, But I do definitely recommend it, right? During those times when you're just longing for that person to be in your life, missing them, missing their contributions, you know, all of those sadnesses and griefs that are just so pervasive, right? When you're dealing with a loss like this. Um, Also, I thought that Ride the Wave could possibly be a big skill here too, right? I know that you sort of, uh, you know, the listener sort of vaguely mentioned, <clears throat> pardon, wanting to reach back out again, but knowing that it's not okay. Uh, maybe that's not as big of a struggle and I'm just projecting. I am definitely projecting. I just don't know if I'm right about it or not. But uh, I very much have to deal with urges to text or call or send a letter or, I don't know, Instagram Face, you know, how can you Facebook, Instagram stock? That doesn't make sense at all. Social media, right? Like go and watch, you know, go look for her social media posts or, 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 right? Like I definitely have urges that come up mostly around trying to reconnect um, with this person who chose to not be in my world anymore. Um, And so I also have to use Ride the Wave a lot to get over the hump of those really intense action urges. So yeah, I don't know. I, I I think, Michelle, you just spoke to a lot of the content really wonderfully. So I don't want to, you know, belabor the point. But um, yeah, radical acceptance, self-soothe and ride the wave are probably the skills that this person didn't necessarily already mention because they're already doing a lot of them really well. But those would be some ones mm-hmm. that I would add to the mix. Yeah, I love the addition of ride the wave. I think that's a great suggestion. Thanks. Okay, next one says, I am trying to begin self-directed DBT due to a lack of pennies and free therapy in my area. What are people's best tips for starting out or resources to use? So one resource that occurs to me is more of a, I guess, review of resources. I thought it might be useful or helpful to this listener to go and listen to our episode where we review different DBT apps. Um, and see if one of them sounds like it would be good for them. Um, uh, They will definitely hear this if they listen to that episode as well. But we recommend DBT Coach is the name of one of the apps. And that one is very well fleshed out, shall we say. And so it can be a really wonderful resource for people who are just getting started and don't have much in the way of other resources or skills to be reminded of, but more needing to learn in the first place. Uh, And also, I don't know if this listener is in the Facebook group, but we recently had um, a member post in there about a peer-led DBT support group that was free. Um, And I want to say that's at least available all across uh, the U.S. I know we have international listeners as well, but for those of you around this country, uh, around these parts, I almost said, but very large parts, um, the, the website for that is Robin, like the bird. So robinshope.com. So R-O-B-I-N-S-H-O-P-E.com. 
Uh, and you can find a calendar of actually they have lots of other um, support groups, peer led support groups through there as well. But, you know, this person was only asking about DBT. So, yeah, perfect. I also checked back the episode where we did review those DBT apps in Apple Podcasts. Anyways, the episode number is 66. It was posted December 28th, 2022. So hopefully that. I've still not figured out how different apps have different numbers for the different episodes. Like, didn't they're just they're just released in an order? How does counting change? (laughs) It's probably because we sprinkle in the Q and A's, and that might affect things. Episodes too, right? Anyway, sorry, I derailed Kate. Derailed, but (laughs) it's confused me for a long time. (laughs) It is very confusing. Yeah. Um. So also a free resource out there. Um, the website that we really, really like as far as learning about DBT skills, again, if you're learning from scratch or just wanting to, I don't know, also if you're not even learning from scratch, but just wanting to take in a deeper dive um, into trying to better understand a skill is dbtselfhelp.com. Um, so right Of course, it's a website, just tons of free reading material on there. But also, you know, even though I want to respect that this listener said they are short on pennies. And so we really want to make sure that in our responses, we were recommending things that were free um, to explore. So what I'm about to say is not free. (laughs) But also, I would say maybe one of the more less expensive options out there. (laughs) More or less expensive. Yeah, far less expensive than a DBT group. Yes. Um, is what this would be. Um, so if you also go to online dbtcourses.com, that's courses with an S, plural, um, you'll see different options on that website for how you can engage with DBT skills. There's kind of like traditional online DBT groups and things like that. There's one-on-one DBT coaching. Those options are definitely more expensive and probably out of this, what this listener is looking for. But one option on there is to do a self-paced course. And that option, if you pick that from the website, is only 40 bucks a month. So it's like $10 a week. Um, It doesn't get... Much cheaper. Much less, yeah, much cheaper than that. Again, like, of course, the apps are free. Or even with, like, DBT Coach, I'm trying to remember off the top of my head. I think it's, like, 12 bucks a month or something. Yeah, I something think that's like right. that for Yeah, the that app, one's not free. We do have free ones on there, mostly, I think, uh, free ones on Well, there. and it starts off starts free. free. DBT yes. Coach does. Yeah. yeah. You can definitely get, like, a lot of bang for your buck with the free version of the app. And then mm-hmm. if you do upgrade... Yeah, I think that's what it was. But so some of these things might cost a little money if you really want to truly dive in Mm -hmm. and you feel like you need a little extra help with DBT stuff. But hopefully those are a little more in your budget than a traditional DBT group because we know that that can get real expensive real quick and wind up costing hundreds of dollars a month. So yeah, either $40 a month for that or again, like a a little bit for the DBT Coach app if you want all the features of it. Yeah. All right. Are we on to the next okay. one? Sorry, I didn't mean yeah. to giggle at your your more or less expensive because I just I just thought that was hilarious though. <laughs> Instead of yeah. just less expensive, more or less. Um, <laughs> more or less. Uh, more or less. More cheap. More or lessness. <laughs> um, so anyway, just thought that was funny. All right. So let's see. This one reads. 
Hi guys, I'm currently struggling with anger and irritation towards others. I lashed out at everybody over a small inconvenience. I feel that that's one of the major reasons why it's hard for me to have friends and behave well in a professional meeting. I wonder if you guys have any advice on how to prevent or manage the feeling of anger. Would being more mindful solve it, so practicing mindfulness longer and more often, or is there anything else? What do you guys find most helpful to manage anger? Hmm. Yeah. Well, big picture, I think, when it comes to talking about anger is a lot of times people... Hmm. How do I put this? A lot of times I think people don't really fully look at what's bringing up the anger for them. Like that something feels maybe a little scary to look at why they're feeling the anger in the first place. But especially if you're noticing it coming up as a common pattern in your life, that you're feeling anger on a really regular basis or you're feeling anger consistently in a particular setting, I would start by taking a look at why that is and getting curious about it. And a lot of times it tends to be for one of three reasons. There can, of course, be more than these reasons, but these categories, you could say, um, tend to be themes for why anger comes up. So the first is if you have an unmet need. So something that you're wanting, but you can't have it. Something is stopping you or standing in your way from having that need met, feeling anger towards that block. The second reason would be trying to like protect yourself. Like if you are perceiving something that someone is saying or doing as an attack, you might notice yourself starting to feel angry and that coming up out of a desire to protect yourself, like emotionally, maybe physically if needed. Um, but just noticing almost a defensive tone to the anger if you're feeling personally attacked. So that could be the second reason. And the third reason is, if someone or something that you care about, if you perceive that that person or that thing is being attacked, then you may want to jump in and defend them. And so that can also bring up anger. So I'd be curious as for why this came up in that meeting. What was happening in that meeting that brought up the feeling of anger and starting there? Um, the other thing that I think can sometimes be helpful. And I want to preface this by saying what I'm about to recommend is tough. <laughs> so I feel like Kate's skills actually are maybe better to do before the skill that I'm about to recommend. <laughs> um, so listen closely to what Kate says in her response. Um, but if you are feeling anger at a person, which I'm guessing in a meeting... There were other people there and maybe someone said or did something that led to you feeling that anger. A good skill to go to would be fast. And the reason why I think fast is a good skill to go towards here is because it's helpful when we can express our anger. When we bottle anger, it tends to just build and then it's more likely to be expressed in a way that um, is bigger down down the line and could potentially lead to worse consequences so if you're able to use fast to express to the other person calmly and clearly what happened that led to you feeling anger um if you decide to do so um if you don't want to express that directly to 
another person. Um, it's just not something you feel comfortable doing or that kind of a thing. There are other ways to release anger that I'm about to talk about, but I really think that that's like the ultimate. If we can get to a place of expressing to another person in using the elements of fast, right? Being fair, not apologizing, sticking to your values, really explaining what value is probably violated for you that they may not be aware that that was a value for you or that kind of a thing and being truthful. That can be a really helpful way to explain, hey, I felt anger about this and this is why. And I wanted to let you know that this is how I'm feeling and this is what I'd maybe like in the future. <laughs> you could even just lead it into a deer man uh, if you really wanted to go all in. But <laughs> um, that would maybe be ideal. Like if you're able to pull someone aside after a meeting and say, hey, can I, can we have a couple minutes to talk? Like I just want to let you know how I'm feeling about this thing that was said in the meeting. That is talking about your anger. And sometimes when we talk about it, <laughs> then... It, I don't want to say like it dies down, but then you are probably getting a need met, right? Um, then you are explaining and feeling like you are um, defending or validating or protecting yourself or someone or something else that's important to you. So that'd be ideal. Other options though, if fast does it make sense? Maybe you're not feeling angry towards a person. Um, or maybe you just don't feel comfortable or ready to communicate like that because it is tough to do, especially when your emotions might be running pretty high. So other things you can do, I say all the time, any expression of anger is okay as long as it's not hurting yourself, another person, or property. So that leaves a lot of things to be fair game for how you can physically release anger from your body. My favorite one um, is to yell into your hands. Um, if you're like, well, Michelle, a lot of people would turn and stare at me and that would not be appropriate in whatever situation I might be in. You might not be able to do it right then and there. Um, but finding a space where you can or even if you cannot actually yell, a silent scream can actually have the same impact of just like trying to get it out of your body. Um, and a silent scream, as long as, again, you feel like you have privacy, I say this all the time for stop, go to the bathroom, go to the bathroom, put yourself in a stall and do a silent scream <laughs> and see if it helps that anger come down a couple notches. Um, that's a skill that I recommend. It's not DBT related, that one, but it's something that I've done myself and I've found really helpful. Um, so... Yeah, those are my thoughts. So yeah, <sighs> um, so yeah. Oh, I did. I totally just. Is that going to be our matching I didn't tattoo, even Michelle? It. Are we going to get so yeah tattoos? So yeah. <laughs> oh, I th I thought I was doing so much better. No, we are. <laughs> We're both doing much better. But it sneaks in. I'm sure I do it when I'm not paying attention. <laughs> Hilarious. Uh, let's see. So I. Uh, I know that this person didn't only mention business meetings, but my brain latched on to that a little bit, like having a hard time in professional meetings. Uh, and so the first thing, oh, pardon me, of course I yawn in the middle of my sentence. There we go. Um, the first thing that I thought about is that business meetings can be an amazing time to practice willing hands and maybe even half smile, both of which can do a surprising amount to help 
bring down or even prevent if you like go into it with willing hands, like go into a situation where you know you tend to get riled up um, and you just start the whole thing out with willing hands. Well, okay. See, it's just a day, Michelle. Um. <laughs> anyway, guys, I appreciate how, well, I guess someone could just turn on episode 50, episode uh, Q&A 51 randomly in the middle, but it seems unlikely, so. I think most people stuck with us by now. <laughs> um, so, yes. Uh, willing hands and possibly half smile uh, can both be responsive and preventative, depending. Um, but those can help. And they're so subtle, right? I was just trying to think of things like what are skills that are more easily done in public venues? Um, and both of those sprung to mind. Um with regards to the outbursts um, and or trying to prevent them more specifically, uh, I love that you mentioned going to the bathroom for a stop, Michelle, because stop is one of the uh, skills that I wanted to mention for this person. I think you can absolutely do willing hands until you cannot even anymore and then excuse yourself to a restroom to go practice stop and go scream into your hands silently for a part of it. Um, <laughs> combo. Um, but definitely stop can give you the opportunity. And if anger is a consistent issue for you, I'm betting you probably are aware of some of those first signs, right? The muscles that maybe start to clench, the, um, you know, place in your body that you first feel the tinglings of anger um, as a good warning to perhaps practice stop uh, is when you can notice those shifts starting to take place in your body. Uh, ride the wave could also be useful here, right? Remembering that the intensity of your anger is only going to stay at that peak for a limited amount of time. Now the limited amount of time, maybe two and a half seconds or 20 minutes, but it will come down eventually. <laughs> Whatever. Um, and so if you can just wait it out, right? Um, not just there, definitely. If you go listen to our episode on it, things to be done during Ride the Wave to help make it better. But again, I was trying to think of things that are a little bit more subtle or more easily navigated out in public and Ride the Wave can work there. Uh, and while this listener didn't mention anything whatsoever that would indicate that they aren't doing a good job of the please skill, I kind of assume that everyone, everywhere, all the time, could do a little bit better with their please skill. <laughs> and so yep. maybe take a look at that and see if you're someone like, I don't know, are you Michelle? Do you get hangry? Uh, if so, perhaps not eating until you get home from work at 6.30 p.m. is why professional meetings aren't going well uh, in the middle of the day. <laughs> so uh, trying to look at how your please skills look and if you know yourself well enough to know which aspects are most pivotal for your emotion regulation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Ah, I almost said so, yeah. <laughs> well, you did it. So good for you. Um, I also realized real quick before we move on to the last one, I don't think either of us really addressed the listener's question when they said, would being more mindful solve oh, it? That's true. Um, but I actually was thinking as you were talking, Kate, which is why I want to quickly circle back around to that piece, is because... You did mention that um, hopefully they do notice what anger feels like in their body at the early signs when it's first beginning. Mm -hmm. And that that is something when you can be mindful of that and notice that. Um, and if you're 
if you're moving through the world in a mindful way, you're more likely to notice that. Um, that would definitely be a helpful thing to be mindful of and aware of is what are the early signs that I'm starting to experience anger? Mm -hmm. And tuning into those, that does really help. <laughs> be mindful of that. Yes. Okay. Last one. We started with a long one. We're ending <laughs> with a long one. Um, and, right, we put um, at every episode um, where it applies, we do put um, a warning if some of the content could be triggering or difficult to listen to. So this one definitely yes. um, applies for why that was here for this episode, just to give people a heads up. So it says, hi, Kate and Michelle. About two months ago, some situations all got really hard to handle kind of all at once. And I relapsed with self-harm for the first time in about five years. During those five years, I thought of self-harming at least once a day, almost every day, but I kept myself from doing it by building this narrative that it's this bad or horrible thing and reminding myself how distressing it would be for my brother if he found out and basically treated it as this like unforgivable thing. That thinking only applied to me though. I was and am a lot more understanding of the few friends that have told me they were struggling. But then I did it. I relapsed and the world didn't end. And I'm 550 plus miles from my brother and parents, so there's no way they'll find out. I told my therapist at the next session after my relapse, and she handled it so well. Zero judgment, asking about the things she needed to, and helping me set up a basic crisis plan. Those first couple of weeks after were crap, but then I started to get to a better place. And then a situation got even worse, and I didn't use the crisis plan. In the last two months, I've self-harmed about four or five times. I've told a select few friends and remained honest with my therapist. And from the start, all anyone has wanted to do was to help support me and help me access resources and learn tools and build a tailored to me crisis plan, etc. with the focus on helping me change what I can and learn how to handle the distress from the things I currently cannot change to keep me from hurting myself again. And I love them all for it, but I don't really care anymore. Sure, it's not the healthiest way to handle life, but I only do it when I get really overwhelmed. I can hide the marks, and it's highly unlikely that I'd accidentally cause a worse injury than I intend. But the expectation of everyone around me is that I must work on eliminating self-harm, and I don't want to disappoint or be a cause of concern for anyone. So how do I learn to care again? I've already screwed up. I'm stuck in a situation I truly cannot change until August, but I have to keep going. So why does it matter how I do that? I feel like such a bad person. Like, I should care about stopping, right? I'm worried about causing more stress for my friends, so I'm trying to make myself use all my other resources for their sake. It's just getting exhausting. I don't know how to care about my own safety anymore. I'm not actively suicidal. I know I cannot do that to my family. But the safety of the surface of my skin isn't important to me anymore. I hope that made sense. Boy, howdy. <laughs> you're like yes it did. yes it does make sense i will try not to talk for too long which maybe means i won't talk for long enough we'll see how it goes today um so the first thing i wanted to say is that i have been there and done that um when i actually uh, resp responded in an email to this listener um, I sort of wrote out what my thinking is like when I'm in those spaces and they endorse that it's very similar. 
Um, and so, yeah, for me, when I'm in a place like this, what that can look like is things like, who fucking cares if I do this? It's not anyone else's business. What I do or don't do with, by, for, near, or to my own body. It's not like it's drugs or alcohol, right? I'm not ruining my life. It's not interfering with my work. I've never needed medical care. Scars are minimal, right? Blah, 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 right? Just endless amounts of minimizing, really. Minimizing and rationalization. Um, now, what a lot of that is about is because I have historically, and I think this listener talks about it a lot as well, um, I think it's really easy to place all of your motivation in other people, especially around self-harm. Um, and when you've placed all your motivation in other people, well, let me tell you how easy it is to get into the, like, well, maybe I'm a little bit more dismissive. You can't get into like, well, fuck them. <laughs> you can't tell me what to do, right? Kind of like, I don't know, willful, shall we say, in DBT's talk sort of attitude about it. Um, you can also get a like, well, what they don't know won't hurt them. Right? They're not psychic. <laughs> they can't just tell that I've done this thing. And the thing I'm most worried about is hurting them. So if I'm not hurting them, then no harm, no foul. Right? You can get kind of combative about it or also kind of dismissive or minimizing. Um, but either way, when you've placed a lot of your motivation for adjusting behavior um, in other people, that does a lot to uh, undermine, shall we say, um, your conviction around that thing when the going gets actually hard, right? Um, so uh, entirely out of order from what I wrote in my notes, I think my, one of my first pieces of advice is do your best to find internal motivations. Right? They may be few and far between. You might have to do a little bit of, and don't tell anybody a therapist told you to do this, but uh, a sort of healthy idea of future tripping. Um, so for instance, it may be true, abjectly and without question true, that you just do not give a shit right now. Um, can you then say, but I suspect future me will care about this. What can I do to make future me? the least unhappy. Right? I would still count that as internal motivation. Right? Even if you cannot find a huge amount of internal motivation for current you from current you, <laughs> try and think about future you. Um, because, right, it, as this listener's talked about, it's pretty common to have um, vacillating amounts, shall we say, of interest um, in uh, as they said, the safety or the safety of the surface of their skin. Um, and that's okay, right? You get to meet yourself where you are and being aware of the fact that that can wax and wane ideally can help you feel assured that it will come back again, right? That it will wax again. At some point you will care more again. Um, and that can be some way to find internal motivation. So that's one thing. Um, another thing is to be really careful about negative self-talk. I think this is a drum that I beat a lot and I will continue to do so. Uh, much less uh, self-judgment around that than the self-soothe thing. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
because, I mean, for a number of reasons, right? Uh, this won't be the first time probably anybody's heard me say these things, but uh, negative self-talk does a few different things. One, um, if you are treating yourself like a worthless sack of shit, you're going to have an awfully hard time mustering energy, motivation, etc. to do anything to take care of that worthless sack of shit, right? Um, the more you work to convince yourself of your own worthlessness or badness or, you know, whatever words your judgment uses, um, yeah, the less effort or energy you're going to have to give to yourself, right? We all prioritize where we put our time and our energy, and we don't tend to prioritize people we think aren't worth it. And that can go for ourselves. So first and foremost, right, it undermines yeah, your willingness to put effort towards yourself. Um, it's also easier to hurt something or someone that you think is worthless. Um, and so it also removes barriers between you and self-harm to have a lot of sincerely negative self-talk. Um, so, yeah, there's, there's a couple of different reasons to careful about that. Also, the particular form of... Uh, I guess I would call it as negative or sort of violent self-talk that involves the word should. Either I should care, as this listener says, right? I should care, shouldn't I? Um, or I shouldn't be doing this, right? Both of those ideas. Um, yeah, you're uh, less likely to do something you tell yourself you should do. <laughs> That's There's a lot of human psychology and actual physiology going into that, but just trust me when I say you are statistically considerably less likely to do something that you're telling yourself you should do. So even if it were true that you should care about stopping, uh, telling yourself that you should care is a really good way to not, and to not change your behavior, right? I should stop doing this. Oh, that's now harder to stop. Right, so be especially careful of the dreaded shoulds and shouldn'ts when it comes to self-harm. That's something I would say. And also, there's no moral here. You're not morally required to not hurt yourself. Um, to be clear here, this is not an endorsement of self-harm. I agree that it is not healthy and, in, by and large, not safe. <laughs> and certainly, rarely, if ever, I'm a moral relativist, so I think there's probably a good idea for almost anything out there in the universe, but um, it's a bad idea. Uh, that being said, shaming yourself about what a stupid person you are for doing the stupidly unhealthy thing and you really should stop, shouldn't you, isn't going to have the results that you are looking for. This is a place where acceptance of where you are is oftentimes one of the fastest ways to get out of where you are. And so not so much am I endorsing just accept self-harm, but accept where you are with regards to it right now. Uh, and that is often a faster way uh, through the period of time of the relapse. Um, Gosh. Oh, uh, an actual skill. Haha. -ha. I'll name one in there somewhere. Uh, pros and cons mm -hmm. can be amazingly good for this. It's, you know, crisis behavior is what pros and cons was originally designed to be used for anyway. And my favorite thing about it is that it gives a space to validate why you do the crisis behavior or whatever they call it. Problem behavior, crisis urge. I don't remember. Um, because you have reasons. That's why you do anything is because you have reasons. Um, dialectics, of course, right, is at the core of DBT. 
And the dialectics around self-harm look something like it isn't healthy and it does quote-unquote work. Right? It does help to regulate and or numb out emotions. It just does. Uh, and so if you're constantly trying to reinforce this narrative, like the listener was talking about, of this is a bad, awful, unforgivable, no good thing, right? There's no excuse. There's no reason. This is just terrible and stupid and awful and bad. You're going to internally have some pushback against that because you know that it's not true. You know that there's more to the story than that. Otherwise, you would never have done it. Right? By saying that this is only a bad thing and then you do it, that's another sort of silent negative self-talk. Right? You're not giving yourself credit for the fact that you're doing it for a reason. Right? You're incredibly overwhelmed. That's already a given in there. Um, and you're doing the thing that you know you can reach for and that will work. It's very much like an addiction. I think Michelle's going to go more into that, so I won't reach too far into that. But, right, there's people... Reasons, there are reasons people do addictive things, and it's not just because of the addictive nature of them in the first place. It's because it serves a purpose. It does a thing that you want. Right? And if you can acknowledge that, again, self-honesty is going to go a lot further um, with actually helping you motivate change. Um, let's see. i try to not say too much. I probably already have. Uh, so how to care. Um, the answer is slowly and gently. Right? You can't make yourself care. It's not how it works. You can't just bully yourself into caring about caring about yourself. See above on negative self-talk. Um, but you can try to invite yourself to care more. Right? This could look like questions that you might ask yourself. Like, if I cared about myself, how would I act right now? Um, you can think about reasons that you might not harm someone else in the same way you're willing to harm yourself, even if they consented entirely and it brought you the same relief. Why not? What's different? You might find some answers for not self-harming in the answers to those questions. Um, right? Basically, uh, the idea here is to try and bring kindness and curiosity into the picture. Why am I doing this? What would it look like if I didn't do this? What reasons might there be not to do this, even if I'm not really attached to them right now, right? Um, and, and I know I already mentioned this, but I think it can do a lot to help change behavior is to assume, and I know the things most people say about assuming, but to assume that you will care again. You don't right now, and that's not a comfortable place to be, but ultimately radical acceptance, it is where you are. But that doesn't mean you'll stay here. And it can be very helpful to change the now to assume that the later will look different. And now that I've talked to her, I don't even know how long. Michelle? <laughs> oh, such good stuff, though, Kate. Oh, good. Such good stuff. Yeah, very, very good. Um, I am going to probably speak entirely in metaphors. Yeah! <laughs> um. In my response, I talk about metaphors a lot in my work with clients. And I didn't put this down in my notes, but really, I, I said this to a client recently, where I think what happens sometimes in life, because um, you were talking about how, you know, not just with self-harm specifically, but any kind of addictive behavior, right? Mm -hmm. We do these things for a reason. And one of the ways that I explain that to clients, and I was talking about this recently, is like, okay, when you injure yourself, 
Um, you know, you get hurt in some way and then you bandage your wound to try to like get that bleeding to immediately stop or whatever it is. And then I know I've had this experience and I think probably most people have. If you've ever had like a really bad injury or like you've had to like leave a dressing or something on there for a while and then you get scared to take it off. Like, you know that you're not actively bleeding anymore, but it's like, I don't really want to see what's under here. I don't really want to see how this looks and like, what if I take this off and then it does start bleeding again? So we just leave the, we just leave the bandage on. We don't need it anymore. We're not actively bleeding now, <laughs> but we just leave it on because it gives us more peace of mind. And I think this is what happens sometimes with behaviors that become addictions. We do it once, right? Because something really painful, hard, difficult, stressful happened in our lives. So whatever the addictive behavior is, is kind of like the equivalent of putting a Band-Aid on the wound that's bleeding, you know, dressing it, bandaging it in some way. And then it's just easy to kind of keep doing that thing. Whatever the addictive behavior is, because then you don't have to take off the bandage and see how gross <laughs> The wound might be. Um, it can kind of serve that function. And I think that's almost what happened for this listener, right? Went through a really hard, stressful situation, relapsed with self-harming, and then they've just continued to do it periodically ever since because the self-harm is like the bandage on the stressful thing. And they're just scared to take it away. What happens if I stop now? How is this going to feel? There's metaphor number one. <laughs> um, Kate, you already alluded to this. I did. I immediately kind of thought about the parallels and the similarities between relapsing with self-harm and relapsing with like alcohol or drug use um, because they do have a lot of things in common. So the way that I was thinking about it with what this listener described is this being like the equivalent of somebody who's an alcoholic. So they've been sober for a while, haven't had any alcohol. And then let's say they go to a gathering and they have one drink and then they stop. They don't drink anymore. Perfect. Nothing bad happens from that one drink. Cool. Awesome. Then they go to another gathering a month later. They're like, oh, okay, I'll have one drink. And they actually stop at one again. And they're like, huh, look at me. And then they do the same thing a third time. And they start to think to themselves, well, do I really have a drinking problem? Like, look, I'm managing myself well. <laughs> Not facing any negative consequences from this. I'm stopping at just one. So what's the big deal? I can probably continue to do this. And that's what I almost hear from this listener. Well, they talked about things in the email, right? I'm not facing any of these negative consequences from self-harm. And you touched on this a little bit too, Kate. So what's the big deal if I'm just doing it here and there, the same way that somebody might be like, well, if I'm just having one drink here and there, what's the big deal? Here's the big deal. <laughs> Metaphor number three. Um, <laughs> <laughs> at one point, if you think of it like swimming, at one point you were in over your head, drowning in some body of water. <laughs> When it came to, in this case, self-harm. But again, this could apply to drinking, drug use, whatever it is. At some point, doing that thing was creating issues in your life. Otherwise, you probably wouldn't have ever gotten to the place of stopping. 
you stopped because you were like, shit, I want out of these waters. I can't keep my head above water. So you managed to get yourself to shore and you got out of the water. Good for you. Here's what I don't want. Right now, it's like you're wading in the water again. Right now, you're okay. Right now, it's not a problem. You're not drowning right now. But the thing is, we don't know when or if this has the potential to become a bigger problem for you. All it takes, and again, maybe people have had this experience too. I know I have with swimming. It's like, oh, my feet are touching the bottom. They're they're touching the bottom. Oh, shit. (laughs) And then all it takes is one extra step. They are like, uh, I'm not touching anymore. Now I'm in over my head. I wasn't in over my head like two feet ago, but now I am in over my head. And this can be how it looks for self-harm or for drinking and drug use or gambling or any <laughs> any number of other things, right? It's good, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's fine, it's well-managed. Oh, shit, it's not. And I don't want you to risk that. So in my mind, metaphorically, this is why it can be a good idea to try to come back to shore so that you don't take that risk of getting to a place where you're in over your head in the water again. Um, so those were some of the ways that I was thinking about it. And the good news is I think Kate provided a lot of ways to help you get back to shore. <laughs> Um, a lot of different things to think about where you might go, huh, okay, maybe I do want to get out of the water. Like, I'm fine right now, but yeah, maybe, maybe I do. Maybe I do want to get out. Um, and to do that in a kind and loving way to yourself, because I mean, I, I wrote it down in my notes, like verbatim, I said, totally agree with you that this is not a problem right now. It doesn't sound like it is. <laughs> like, honestly, um, Given that, like you said, you know, you're not really facing any major consequences from this and all of that. I just worry that it could become a problem down the line. And I wouldn't want that for you. Um, I didn't write down any DBT skills. The biggest thing that I said was um, that I would encourage you and writing this down would be a good idea. Answer this question for yourself. When would you be concerned about your self-harm? How would you know if it's becoming a problem again? So basically for you, where's that line between like, okay, my feet are touching the floor, right? Like if I'm in a lake, my feet are touching, my feet are touching, I'm fine. And where's the line to where you're like, now I'm in over my head and uh, I'm in trouble. Where is that line for you? Is that if you're like, well, if I self-harm, you know, three days in a row, Or if I notice that I'm having a harder time with getting the bleeding to stop when I cut. Or I notice that I'm having an urge to keep it a secret from my therapist. Like write down what your red flags would be. Put it somewhere. Here's the other thing I would encourage you to do while you're in this current state of mind. Give a copy of that to your therapist. (laughs) And I know that's not easy. Give a copy of it to your therapist and say, this is when I'm going to be concerned about myself. (laughs) Yeah. And then if those things start to happen, I hope they don't. But if they do, your therapist can pull it out and say, hey, remember this? Mm -hmm. 
Um, because, I mean, I'm so proud of you and keep doing what you're doing in terms of continuing to be honest with your therapist. I mean, that's also probably the biggest piece of advice to give. Keep telling your therapist. Keep being open. Keep being transparent. Um, but yeah, answer that question. When would I be concerned about my self-harm? And I mean, Kate was kind of also saying to this too. It doesn't matter what, when other people in your life would be concerned about your self-harm. Doesn't matter what they think. When will you be concerned about your self-harm? Um, so answering that question would be a good thing to do. Okay, I think we're done. Well, I like that. And of course, because this, this is um, <clears throat> a topic near and dear to me. Um, yeah. Whatever the fuck that means. But um, and one thing that you were talking about, like, and like motivate those changes with kindness and love or something like that. I don't remember exactly what you said, but it was reminding me of something that I said to a client on an unrelated issue this week, but I think is a good way to remember things. Um, if we think about the purpose of different emotions, right? If you're thinking about opposite action, for instance, I know it has handouts that talk about specifically what every emotion motivates us to do right? Different, different emotions come with different motivations. And the motivation of like guilt and shame, both of them are like, stay away, right? Yeah. They are distance inducing <laughs> emotions, right? Don't tell, don't go there, don't do that again. Like, don't, right? It's all about moving away from things. Um, which makes it really hard to try and shame yourself towards change. <laughs> because <laughs> mm -hmm. the more shame you feel around a topic the more you're going to avoid the topic and you want to know how mm -hmm. it's how you have to work on something is by not avoiding the topic right whereas yeah. like compassion kindness love curiosity right like a lot empathy a lot of the all of those emotions i would say are moving towards motivating Right? They, they motivate you closer to a thing. And so if you can bring any of those emotions to bear <laughs> on this topic, your mileage may vary, but the easiest one for me in there is curiosity. Um, right? But if you can bring any of those emotions to bear on the subject, you're much more likely to be able to make and maintain change in the direction you're hoping for. Shame can certainly motivate time-limited change, but um, you might have noticed how that's working with the, my brother is 550 miles away from me, right? Oh, no! Right? The shame is not enough, right? <laughs> like, you're just like, I'm just going to avoid all of this. I don't have to tell people. I don't have to do anything about it, right? Things like that. So, that's all. I was just thinking about shame-based motivation versus stuff what moves you towards things-based Mm -hmm. motivation uh and which one is more likely to be successful so i just wanted to add that in yeah. there because i don't think i'd said it yeah. that way no that's awesome um but yeah i think that brings us to but yeah so yeah oh yes oh yes all the time we are the yeah 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 sorry <laughs> all right i'm obviously say it a, lot. a little punch drunk today the um <clears throat> that's it for q a 51 that gives us some time to think about something cool about the number 52. If you happen to be listening to this and want to drop an idea in the Facebook group, we won't be angry. Um, 
But uh, if you do want to be included in a future Q&A, please feel free. We encourage those who want to, to write us. We love getting emails from listeners. Uh, so that is dbtandmepodcast at gmail.com. You can also submit questions, curiosities, statements, etc. into the Facebook group. Um, so that is dbtandmepodcast on Facebook. Uh, and yeah, we look forward to hearing from you all. And we promise we respond to you personally faster than it shows up in the actual <laughs> Q&A episodes. Yes, we uh, promise. <laughs> so yeah. Ne- oh, no. <laughs> it's done. Well, there you go. Whatever the words are for, we're done today. Talk to you another time. <laughs> Goodbye, everyone. Thanks, everybody. <laughs> To learn more about us and the DBT skills we're teaching each week, join our Facebook group. Simply log in to your Facebook profile and search for DBT and Me Podcast.